0: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast.
1: Just for the hey, love welcome to the Fish Nerds, the nerds a show about fish, fishing, pan, and eating hero, fish. I'm Clay I Groves, Chief Executive fish nerd. fish nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your friend, and I've been gone for a month, and I know you missed me, and I'm so sorry. But I'll explain later in the show while I'm out why I was out. But today we are back and back with a vengeance. You are lucky because with me today from MangaBay.com, uh, uh, we have another visit from Eric Hoffner, who's also a photographer. And he exhibits his work at a gallery near Boston. I think it's an exhibit now, and a series of ice fishing photos. He takes pictures of people's ice holes. He's a dirty, dirty man, and you can see his work over at EricHoffner.com. <laughs> Eric, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you for that so much.
1: <laughs> Ice holes, huh?
0: Ice holes. Ice yes. holes.
1: We're going to get into that. You can
0: hashtag a- that if you want.
1: I should. It's a very good one. Actually, it's actually nice looking work. If you take pictures of people's holes being refrozen?
0: Yeah, you yeah. go around in the morning on your hockey skates and you skate from hole to hole and you just if you shoot these things in black and white, they are unbelievable. They blow yeah. people's minds,
1: it's really, and they look good all framed up on the walls and series and stuff. It looks like real art,
0: yeah. People start walking around, they're like they're having an experience.
1: <laughs> How come I've never seen this? They're like, oh, well, you know, ice fish. <sighs> all right, uh, so uh, we're gonna be talking about ice fishing and photography. We're gonna do a review of a movie called The Ice Flow. Uh, Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh are here to teach us all about the tench. Um, and we've got experimenting with a few shorter podcast segments today. We're going to be talking about, uh, what do we have, uh, Lawrence Gunther, our blind angler from Canada, um, is going to give us uh, some, some tips, and uh, Crappy Hippie is here with a PSA, so we're going to try and diversify our show. So, here we are. First up, let's do this effing movie review. Let's talk about, let's talk about this movie, The Ice Flow.
0: A little more uh, serious than the last movie review.
1: I think that last one was excellent.
0: <laughs> it, oh, it's just the material is a little more serious.
1: Yeah. For those who don't know, we reviewed... Oh, I forgot the name of the movie already. Uh, a, a movie about a uh, ice fishing movie where the, the, the villain lived under the ice and would bust through the ice and eat people. And this one's... There's no villain in this movie.
0: No, just sweet Canadians.
1: Yeah. I think they're French Canadians, right? Yeah. So this is all like an ice fishing culture, like almost... Almost like a, a a documentary, right? About yeah. this one village in Canada who ice fishes like crazy. And I, I saw the movie about three weeks ago. So Eric, I'm gonna let you read the, lead the conversation because my brain is muddy today.
0: Right? Yeah. No, it was a really sweet little film. The um, it's the town is called Rimouski. It's on the St. Lawrence way way up, but you know, halfway up the peninsula. And uh, you know, on the St. Lawrence, you can catch all kinds of things like uh, uh, muskie or uh, pike, things like that. Apparently, but um, in this area, it's it's a uh, they this uh, documentary film is is looking at the an area where a river meets the St. Lawrence, and these ice fishing shacks go up, and they're all, you know towed out there by these big um, four wheelers and they set up a real community that sits there all winter like you know some of us have seen before some of us like like yourself you have (laughs) you have real estate on the ice but uh yeah no they but in the movie they're not calling catching any of these walleye bass pike or any of this stuff they're they're just catching smelt
1: Right. And and so we should say the St. Lawrence, it's in Quebec is where they are. And and smelt fishing, for those who don't do it, uh, you're jigging you're jigging a, a really light line with multiple hooks, like a Sabiki style rig, and you, you know, the goal is catch, you know, four or five fish at a time. And you measure these smelts uh, in quart buckets. So you try to fill your buckets up and they're del- delicacy in most places. But it really is all about this ice fishing community. Really fun to look at. The ice shacks are. Are, some of them are really, really elaborate, but most are just real rustic shacks, which is what I really like.
0: yeah, they're neat but the the film is about this it's basically about the community of of the fishermen and fisherwomen that happen to be out there, and how um the national Film board of Canada awarded this. Artist from France to come over and interact with him because this guy has a his art is is crafting wind vanes. And so what he does is go from shack to shack and interview people about their lives and 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 why they live on the ice so much in the winter. and he crafts a little tail for each of them. and he depicts it in a metal wind vane that he goes back to a shop in town and welds. And then he puts them up on their on their shacks, so all these people get wind vanes about you know the stories of their lives. Like, here's how I met my wife, or this shack represents the general store of the ice because she's got everything. You know, it was really very sweet.
1: It's a really nice, funny movie. Quotes. really funny quotes and the photography. Like for me, this thing was a visual experience. It's it, it, and so for our blind listeners, um, it's a hard one to watch. But for the uh, but for this one, this is like. Visually stunning, the whole thing, like just the way it's, it's filmed, the angles, the lighting, lighting being the sun, uh, really, really fun to watch. I enjoyed it, um, even though it was in French.
0: It was in French, but the subtitles were excellent. <laughs> well written. Yes. The <laughs> nice thing about this being a National Film Board film is it's on the web, and you know anybody can watch it anytime, so we should put a link in the show notes for it. It's 30 minutes long, and it's really sweet.
1: Yeah, it's a nice one. If you could find links up at fishnerds.com and also I will put links up in our Fish Nerds podcast group on yeah. Facebook. Highly recommend spend some time on this one. A lot of fun. It's going to make you want to go live on the ice. If yeah. you're ice fishing it's going to make you want to go and meet other people who do it.
0: My favorite moment was uh, you know, it's mostly like older white men but there's also a Whoa. bunch of women <laughs> on the ice here and there but uh, there was there's one university student, remember him? Uh, this kid um reported that he just prefers to spend time on the ice, even though he has an apartment in town, um, he, he goes to his shack between classes and after classes because uh, he says, you know, on the ice, if I don't like my neighbor, I can just move my shack.
1: I, that, that's perfect analogy for ice fishing, isn't it? You can always just move it around. Um, I, I like that a lot, and I know a lot of people just like that kid who prefer to be on the ice to anywhere so you really can connect with with them. I am so disconnected from this movie though, because it's been two weeks since I've watched it and I'm I'm struggling with my memories here. Mm. Eric, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> that is that is fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, and the other thing that was really interesting about this for me was to know that this uh waterway is semi uh salt. Um and it actually gets tides.
1: Well and that's for smelt fishing, that's usually how you do it for the for the smelts you're eating is you go on tidal rivers and that brings in the big smelt runs and that's why when the smelt are running everyone's on the ice at the exact same time because uh-huh. it's either either there or they're not there because they're coming in i think they're coming in for spawning because smelts are, are anadromous like salmon right so i think they're on a spawning run coming up but i, I i'm usually wrong Oh, I yeah, think we should, look that up. we should totally, I should know that. Maybe we'll do smelt as one of our fish of the week sometimes soon. <laughs> but it is tidal. Now, have you been smelt fishing before? I have not. I, I did it years ago with Dave the founder of the Fish Nerds. And my first time doing it, we were on Tidal River in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, called the Oyster River. And we got on the, t- on the river at high tide around 10 o'clock at night. And the tide started running out while we were on there. When the tide runs out, the edges crumble because right? your ice is going up and down. And so the edges of the ice aren't safe because they're, they're always crumbling. So there's like milk crates and there's, there's wood planks and all kinds of stuff laying over those spans of ice on the side to get on and off the ice from. And we were coming off the ice, we were successful. I had two buckets of smelt and I fell through a hole in the ice up to my chest and caught my arms on the ice and spilt my smelt. And, and so as I'm scooping it all back in the buckets before I rescued myself, and then we got home to Dave's house and we're he's like, Do you want to take a shower? Do you want to warm up? I'm like, No, I'm fine. And I'm just to fillet a smelt, all you do is take scissors and you cut them up the belly and gut and leave the heads on. And I'm shaking so hard that I couldn't work the scissors by the end of it. <laughs> that's, that's my smelt fishing. But the whole house was like cucumbers afterwards.
0: Yeah, cucumbers. i read that. Yeah. Really that's interesting. A fresh smell. So that was the great smelt spill of 2016.
1: <laughs> of it must have been 2011. Back in the day. <laughs> it's been a long time. And we have a, the problem now with smelt fishing in New England is our rivers haven't been freezing well. I mean, this year has been a, a good year for smelting. But overall, with, with the warming trends, the rivers, the tidal rivers are not getting smelt safe. So the smelt are wow. still running, but anglers aren't able to get on the ice as much as they might want to.
0: Interesting. Yeah. The current issue of on the water magazine has a feature about, uh, guys who go up and do it in Maine. And there was some talk about that as well. Even in Maine, like it was, the season was a little shortened.
1: Yeah. Now in Maine, you can go and they have these, you can, you can rent the smelt shacks They're just like 10 sheds that they drag out in the ice and drop on top of the smelt. And most people I know have done it this year, have gone out and done it and they've caught one or two smelt. So one or two buckets of smelt. Imagine spending all that money. I <laughs> just bummed me out. <sighs> All right. <laughs> so that's a review of a movie and taco smelt. That is the, uh, on the ice floor. We're going to put, um, we're going to put links up at fishnerds.com. Continue this conversation on our Facebook group or Twitter or wherever you happen to be.
2: The following public service announcement is brought to you by fish nerds guide service.
1: My biggest fishing pet peeve
0: is Trash. Uh We got the people who carry all their stuff down to the stream bank or river bank or lake bank to fish and then leave all their crap there. Come on, guys, we're better than this.
2: And I hate it. Hate it, hate it. And like bait boxes or fishing line or old hooks or soft plastics. Let's clean up after ourselves. People leaving trash and their fishing
1: line and you definitely know they're anglers.
2: Take your trash with you. And I
1: hate it. Hate it, hate it. Beer cans and fishing line. I have no time for these people.
2: Fish Nerds Guide Service kindly reminds you to fish responsibly. If you can carry it in, please carry it out and leave no trace. And be a fish nerd and love the resource with all your heart.
3: Now back to our program. I'm Lawrence Gunther, and this is another Blue Fish Canada Stewardship Tip. I'm all for light tackle. I love a good fight on the end of my rod. But you know what? There's a limit to how light you should go. I've seen people take light tackle and apply it to heavy-duty situations and break off and break off and break off and break off. And boom, they land a fish. And they say, see, I told you I could. Yeah, you did it. You caught one. But there's also eight other fish out there swimming around with hooks in their mouths, trailing fishing line. So you want to use the right size line. You want to use the right side equipment. You don't want to be breaking off all the time if you can help it. It's not great for the fish. It's not great for the environment. It's not great for the reputation of us anglers. Make sure you get those fish into the boat, into the net, You know, within a reasonable period of time, so you're not exhausting them to the point where their hearts are going to just conk out on them. You want to get them into the net so they're not green, so they're not going to thrash about in your net and in your boat and and break their fins off and hook you. You want to make sure that they're tired, but when you let them go, they're going to swim away fine. It's a fine line. It comes with experience, it comes with having the right kind of tackle and knowing what kind of tackle to apply in what situation you know what if you're not sure there's lots of people with the knowledge at the sports stores who can give you the right kind of tackle the right kind of fishing line the right kind of gear to make sure you're properly equipped for the fish you're going after for all the latest canadian fish and fishing news follow bluefish radio
1: Nerds, if you like the podcast and you want to help support us financially we need your money this show literally only happens because people donate money to the show so, and they do it through a program called Patreon, which is a, a crowdfunding for art projects. And even though we make audio, we still we still think of it as art. We're still creating something. And so we're asking listeners to go over there and donate $1 per episode to support our show. That's like 4 bucks a month. If all of our listeners did that, I would be able to not work five or six part-time jobs. I could make being a fish nerd my only job, which would be remarkable uh and we want to thank our newest supporters go to patreon.com slash fishnerds to give us some money uh but nick craig chad o'leary mike o'keefe um are are giving us some their new supporters we appreciate you guys of course all you people who've been still with us for years we appreciate you uh big fat thank you to david redden for increasing his pledge um we always like more money uh and if you give us money, there's rewards on there. We've got hats and decals and all kinds of fun stuff. So head on over. Give us your money. We'll be your best friend. It keeps the show going. We don't have any real advertisers on here. And when we do, they don't stick around anyway. So <laughs> better just to go directly to you guys for our, for our Patreon money. Patreon.com slash It's all secure through PayPal or some server like that. I don't even know how to do it, but we like them. <laughs> so Patreon.com slash nerds. How about Some news. news. Since you're a manga bay guy, yeah, you want to sure. lead the news discussions.
0: Happy to. Yeah, manga bay is an environmental science news service, as you know. And uh, so I went through and found some of the recent fishiest news. And um, this one, I thought Doc Martin would like a lot because it's about a, a new genus of of catfish being discovered mm-hmm. in, in the Amazon. These guys look really cool, and they have um, they have tentacles on their faces, like little you know. Like we, we, you know, our catfish have little bits of stuff like that, but these these things are like,
1: these are on their noses.
0: Yeah. These are like fans on each side of the mouth. And, uh, there's not any agreement as to what these like octopus looking (laughs) things are. And they're they're mostly on the males and the males get, you know, and so apparently they're trying to signal to the females that they're really, you know, something else, the bigger my tentacles
1: yeah look at mine wow and they they are like <laughs> look like little mustaches <laughs> really funny so you can see pictures of a manga bay.com we'll put links up at of course at com. so the headline is six new catfish species facial tentacles uh, and all described in amazon so these are amazonian
0: yeah and they're you know they're kind of uh, bushy nose catfish which mm-hmm. uh, if anyone who keeps aquarium fish is familiar with that clan but this is a whole bunch of new uh species about a half dozen or so
1: yeah and they are they tiny no they're not tiny i'm trying to get you an know. idea on I mean, from the photos i can't quite get a get a feel for their size cuz they're on black backgrounds so they look it looks like they are tiny
0: yeah the scale seems like the you know kind of average size for making a photograph but you know it It's interesting because there's not a lot known about this species. They're just kind of describing them now. And they're in decline because of um, dredging of these rivers for artisanal gold mining. So, you know, guys are just digging up the bottom and pouring the mud through these, you know, old school flumes and pans to get the gold out. So it's really, it's hammering the uh, habitat for these guys. So there's, there's not a good sense for, you know, maybe these catfish used to get huge. But, you know, they're catching ones of a certain size right now. You know, they could probably ask indigenous people who've lived there for millennia and they would tell them <laughs> exactly.
1: Right now, uh, would indig- now no, so modern fishermen lie. Do indigenous fisher people lie? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is it human nature to exaggerate the size of your fish? Or is it a very, uh, I want to say like a modern, like first world country job to lie about it?
0: Wow. Well, I would I would hazard a guess that indigenous people lie less. Um,
1: <laughs> you know, I was hoping less... for one more universal, like, ah, one more thing to bring us all together. God. <laughs> Everyone's a liar.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. That's a really good question. And someone should look into it. Clay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, most hunter-gatherer groups, there's no incentive to lie. You know, there's whatever I caught, we all can eat. And And they're uh, eating all
1: sizes too. Like if you look at most indigenous cultures, we eat fishes. It's not, I'm going to look for the keeper size. Every size is a keeper. So they're not chasing the monsters or the, they don't have, like I said, no incentive to lie.
0: Oh, well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there are a lot of um, norms and traditions that govern how, you know how big a fish should be or an animal should be or what one's not to take. Taboos.
1: Well, then if there are are rules, then there are liars. I think that they go hand in hand. I think it's, Okay. I bet you they go together, but uh, let's get our crack team of uh, fish nerds researchers on this. So that would be listeners. Anyone who can, who knows anything about this, give us a call 607-378-FISH and tell me if indigenous people are liars. That's the question. (laughs) I need to know. All right, but hey, so go to um, fishners.com and look at these photos. Of these fish are really remarkable looking. They're kind of gross looking in a lot of ways, too, but I like them.
0: Yeah, those big milky eyes.
1: milky eyes, and they, their mouths look like, um, like like almost like a sturgeon mouth, like that kind of push-down lip thing going on the bottom.
0: Yeah, they so, really do. A downturn mouth. Yeah. That's one of the amazing things, though. We're just constantly discovering new species.
1: We are, and and oh the world. thing, and the thing with fish is they're so hard to define that like everything that's not an animal, plant, or whatever, is, seems to be a <laughs> not an animal. The fish are an animal. that not, isn't a, a mammal or reptile or whatever. Seems to be a fish, and they kind of can be any kind of shape, color, and whatever. Really cool. Good. Give us another one.
0: Oh sure, we covered a, a new study that came out about fish and chip shops mm-hmm. in the UK. Is the, you know, the famous thing, you get your fish and chips and, you know, you can get them in a cart on the street or all these, you know, corner stores. Everyone loves this stuff. But for a long time, we've known that uh, dogfish, the spiny dogfish in particular, is one of the fishes that makes it into those things. And it's passed off as cod, or they also mm-hmm. call it uh, rock salmon or something like another word, huss which uh, I not I've not
1: heard hus before. Yeah. I've heard, yeah. Um, I've heard it. Was it Cape shark or Cape? Uh, there's another name that they were using a couple of years ago. It was like, it was, it was some other, other it had Cape cod in it, but it had nothing to do with dogfish at all. Right. But yeah.
0: Yeah. And then one of the points of the study was that when, We're marketing things like a spiny dogfish, which is actually a threatened species worldwide. It is. Under these other names, it it sanitizes the problems underneath. Um, Because you're like, oh, it's just a rock salmon. You know, what is that? It's a a little bit more nebulous. The thing that was crazy for me about it, besides the idea that, you know, these rapidly declining fish are going into people's fish and chips they're also uh they also found hammerhead shark in some of these fish and chip shops
1: so yeah to clarify what they did was they took they bought the fish and they did dna testing on the fish and that's how they found out what it was made out of and they're doing more and more of this everywhere you're starting to see stories every week about people buying fish and testing it so hammerhead sharks uh, is a big surprise uh, so i wonder how many people in england have eaten hammerhead and who would normally avoid all that stuff
0: yeah in particular it's the scalloped hammerhead and it's Uh, an endangered species there are other ones that are less endangered but you know it's all kind of a sad tale (laughs) yeah so these dna studies are really interesting and we're finding out just how much our fish sellers don't even know themselves
1: no and they're and you know, it's it, the one. The question I would have is: Are the people who are selling it, like the actual, is it, would you blame the people who drive those trucks around, or do you blame the people selling them the fish, or are the people selling distributors the fish? Like, where where in the chain do we place the blame, or does it go all the way?
0: Yeah, I don't know, uh, but certainly with the, f- the, the fishers, that's uh, number one right there.
1: Right, because they should be not catching these fish to begin with, so yeah. that's the challenge. But, I mean, it's our job as consumers to ask the questions, uh, yeah. and what I always tell people is if you really want to know, ask the person you're buying the fish from. If they can't source it, maybe you don't want to buy that from that person, and the market would control this pretty well if we all dug in our heels and said, but you can't tell me where that came from. I'm not going to go for it. Um. Yeah.
4: Of one of the
0: great could- ironies for us uh, here where I live in the northeast of the United States is if you go out ground fishing looking for a haddock or, or you know, perhaps cod, you have to fight your way through um, schools of, of these dogfish. Mostly smooth dogfish, but also the spiny dogfish, which is the one that's the real problem here. And, uh, you know, so it's like people trying to catch cod. Fighting their, you know, which is like more on the endangered side of, of the scale than, than anything and fighting your way through these things that are just labeled as vulnerable and which is the next, just the next step okay. down.
1: From Almost endangered. endangered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing too is, is if you look at it, the problem is we overvalue individual species of fish. And so we, when we're consuming fish as as people, we're always like, I'm only eating cod, I'm only eating halibut, I'm only eating this kind of fish. And because we don't diversify our diets, when we catch that smooth dogfish or the spiny dogfish, or we catch, uh, you know, whatever op- you know, whatever species of fish we don't want, we label it as trash. We have no problem destroying it as we go after that target species. You know, we don't feel bad about it, and we should. I think we should think more about how we're treating those fish that we. Maybe you aren't going to eat, yeah, um,
0: you know I've been on on a charter boats before where the mates when you bring up a dogfish they'll they'll literally just kill the dogfish and throw it back over
1: yeah that i I've actually um I've actually wanted to go the end trips early because of that so I had a captain once stick a m eighty in the mouth of a dogfish and throw out the boat and mm. i I couldn't have been more angry like it was it ruined my entire day, and after i when I caught it, I didn't catch it one of the guys next to me caught it. I said, Look, if that fish makes you mad and you're going to kill it, why don't we just fillet it and eat it? We don't have to. And then the guy's like, Oh, this is how we handle these effing things. And he stuck a thing in his mouth. He was all being like this <laughs> toxic masculinity thing going on. And all the guys in the boat were cheering and celebrating him. And I'm like, I'm done. Wow. I'm done. I was pissed. I didn't tip and From him. a
0: guide's point of view, like, would you tell someone who is paying you to go out on your boat with you that you can't eat this fish, but I'm going to destroy it in front of your face. Uh,
1: No, I would tell them they can't eat a fish, but I would not, I would not do that. And if, if the people who are paying me felt anything about the fish, they all get released. I mean, we don't, we don't, I don't want to, my job as a guy does not make people have a bad time, you know, your customer service job, but that guy didn't care. And unfortunately it was a, it was a head boat. You know, so i might say, hey, but say about like things, 12 of us on the boat, we all paid a, you know, 80 bucks a piece to go out with him, but he made, you know, 800 bucks for four hours of fishing <laughs> and, and I was pissed though. I was really mad and I wouldn't do any social media. I wouldn't mention him to anybody and man, but I hate seeing that with any species of fish. I don't, I don't understand it. I see it in, in freshwater. We see that people do that with dogfish or not dogfish, um, with uh, rock bass or whatever. They throw them up in the ice, let them die because they don't like that fish or, or the yellow perch or whatever. They just pick roll. Yeah. Which are a native new England fish and people are, people hate them. And I don't, I don't get that at all that I can't connect with hating any species of fish. I can connect with understanding invasives do, but you don't blame the animal. It's still, yeah,
0: I talked to a guy on the ice this weekend and explained that the pickerel eat too many other fish. So mm-hmm. that's why
1: that's what he told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. well, he was a biologist. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I see it all the time, all the time. Or, or you see piles of like three inch yellow perch on the ice. And you're like do you get them eat them? Nope, nope. Those are just trash fish. I want to get them out of here. I'm like, well, those are natives. Those all been here for eons. So, and you're after what? Rainbow trout? Yep. Okay, so you're after an invasive species. You should be killing all those trout. Uh, if if that's your <laughs> if that's your goal. So. Right. Yeah, fish are funny, but hey, look, don't eat um, don't eat do- don't eat sharks. I guess, <laughs> especially hammerheads.
0: Especially hammerheads. Especially hammerhead. hammerheads.
1: Yeah. So, what can we do about this? What, as consumers, is there anything we could do? Let's say we're traveling around. Fish, tr- fish and chips truck pulls up on us. Mm-hmm. What do we do?
0: Yeah, well, ask the person what's in the in the meal that you're thinking of buying. Same mm-hmm. thing with the at the fish counter.
3: Mm-hmm. I talk
0: to the guys at the fish counter all the time. I query them. Oh, you're selling shark. Do you know what kind of shark that is? Oh, did you know it's uh, probably not cool to sell? A lot of times they will know, but you know, if they're not the assistant manager or higher, they don't. No, and they're interested.
1: And, and unfortunately, not enough consumers ask that question. You know, I I walked by the fish counter at my local supermarket yesterday, and I didn't see one fish there that I felt was sustainable. Mm. Not one. I mean, they all it, it has a big sign. We only source sustainable fishes, but there was cod. There was um I mean cod was a big one, I'm like cod is not <laughs> like where are you getting your cod from you yeah, know it's
0: probably Pacific cod, you know, and they it's a slightly different fish, and it mm-hmm. is better than uh you know it, it can't be really North Atlantic cod no. to any large
1: degree no, and then but there's swordfish and all these other large you know it's just salmon, you know farm salmon, but the whole thing was like it's just like where's the Acadia redfish where's the you know, where's the sea robins? Where are all, all these other really delicious fish that there's plenty of? Not, why aren't they making it to market? And that's the that's, – that's consumers. That's us. That's buyers. Yeah, so, right. We need to ask for better fishes or different fishes. Better and then when, fishes. And, and when, you see them, when you see them, buy it. You know, like your money is your vote. So when, yeah. I, when, I, when they get a Katie Redfish at the supermarket, I buy two pounds of it. Cool. And it makes the best fish sandwiches.
0: I, and I always thank the guy or gal and say, thanks for carrying this.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank them, mention it, tell them why you're buying it because they're the, they'll talk to the buyers and get more of it because, you know, they want, they want to make money. So, all exactly. right. You got another story?
0: I got one other story I wanted to share with you, which is a uh, uh, interesting one that relates directly to um, our, our fishing desires and, 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 and records Media obscures shrinking newsworthy fish. This is one that we published this week at Manga Bay, which is really uh, interesting. That the authors of this uh, study went back through English language newspapers um, over 140 years or so into the 1800s, and they were searching for the terms "massive" and "giant" in um, association with landings of fish. Mm-hmm. And they were, and they compared the length of those fish as reported in the papers then to what is reported as as massive and giant in the papers today. And like you would probably expect the numbers of what's called that have gone way down.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you only keep massive fish, you end up with smaller fish, right? Yeah. Yeah. The
0: thing is the the media hasn't kept up and they don't understand um, in general, you know, what, what ocean science and, and trends and fishing are like, and that, you know, when we were kids, you know, the, a massive fish was so big or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you show someone a 400 pound swordfish, that's pretty exciting, but that's, you know, that wouldn't have been, you know, the most massive swordfish in
1: history. Right. But now you show us that same. Now you show someone a 150 pound fish and they think massive as well. Right. And I went out cod fishing, not cod fishing. we were out for ground fishing, we weren't allowed to catch cod, but all we were catching was cod, It was because they were making a comeback, so we couldn't catch, we couldn't find any other fish. So we kept catching these cod, and the captain of the boat kept calling them massive fish. And the clients on the boat kept going, wow, look at the size of this thing, and they were pushing 15 pounds you know <laughs>
0: right which That's kind of a beginning point many years ago
1: right and so like you know they're they're three feet long but a big cod 50 years ago would be five feet long you know that would be like your your massive fishes so like there's a lot of them but they're not big like they used to be they also they're, they're seeing striped bass uh, numbers are are growing but the fish on average are smaller fish uh, i think you're seeing that across the board and then more fish were we you know we when we when you take all the large fish out of the population, you end up with small smaller fish and it's funny, when I was in college in my biology class we I did a research project on this very thing, and I was positing that we weren't seeing necessarily less biomass of fish in the, in the nets we were seeing smaller fish because if the nets are all designed to capture large fish and smaller fish can sneak through the nets, if you get smaller adults who can reproduce, then genetics are going to make make smaller fishes overall even if you're allowed to grow big they may not because imagine if you took every human out of the populations over five foot five if you kept doing that you ended up with a lot of humans who are below five foot five it just didn't take long before that happens. so that's kind of yeah. like where i'm at with the with these big fishes i think we keep all the big ones and you end up you know wrecking that <laughs> wrecking that population
0: yeah it's interesting and and it, the there's a word for this um shifting perception over time. Um, which it's called, it's, uh, called shifting baseline syndrome, mm-hmm. where you just basically accept that the reduced size or scale of something over time, like fish, for example, um, is actually the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you don't know anymore, you know, you don't, you don't remember what it was like clamming on this, you know, big sandbar. Uh, back in the 1950s, you just know what it was like in the 80s mm-hmm. when you or, grew up or whatever, right? Or even you thought it was yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. You could, but you know, in 2019, if you go to that same bar and get 50 clams, you think this is incredible. But it's just, you know, it used to be carpeted, for example. So it's just another example of shifting baseline syndrome, and the same thing can be said about the weather, you know. Um, more extreme events are happening these Mm -hmm. days, you know, tornadoes are moving East. We're getting them in the winter. Now we had one in Massachusetts last year. We had one the year before that. And of course, we just had those terrible ones uh, in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are, you know, these extreme events are getting more common and people it's, it turns out that people are just getting used to that and saying, Oh, this is, this is what weather is. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not exactly what it was even you know, 15, 20 years ago. So the, the baseline the, the, has shifted.
1: The new normal, they call that, right? Right. So, yeah, it's funny because I was just on um, New Hampshire Public Radio on a show called Outside In, and I was, I was fishing, ice fishing with one of their kids. Great show. Oh, yeah. So if you listen to the most recent episode, it's, it's called uh, Life Under the Ice or something like that, and it's, I'm on there fishing. But they edited me because <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm, I suffer from baseline shifting syndrome. Because everything I do is the most exciting thing I'm ever going to do. So I don't have, I I never remember what happened yesterday. So as, whenever I catch a fish, I always go, man, look at the size of that thing. And they edited, I guess I must have said it 30 times in the in the two hours I was on the ice with them. And they edited this montage of me just saying that over and over and over <sighs> again to every single fish this kid caught. Oh. I had no idea. That was my crutch fishing thing to say until that. And as funny as it was, now I'm self conscious about it.
0: <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. That was a little bit of an editorial they gave you.
1: They did a great job. <laughs> you should take a listen to it if you get some time. It's really funny, and they also, and also in that same episode, they call me notoriously unreliable. So as a storyteller, so I was super happy. That was great. <laughs> yeah, mostly my true. Day. Mostly, that's what I told them. That's the truth. Yeah. I love it. That's the truth. All right. That's the news. And you can pick all these up at manga com, and we'll put links up at com, And now uh, you can see photos of that
2: weird catfish on there.
1: All right. Next up, we're so lucky Doc Martin and fish guy, Josh are back to bring us, their newest fish of the day, the tench. Have you heard of a tench? I
0: have heard of a tench.
1: Yeah, I've heard of it. I know nothing about it, so I'm super excited to hear what, what they have to say. It sounds like a tool. It does, yeah. Hey, uh, hand me the this, this, this sprocket tench. I don't fix stuff. <laughs> nope. nope.
0: Leave that to the experts. Exactly.
2: Interesting facts, long Latin names fish are fantastic but not all the same how do they swim how do they feed does their conservation affect you and me the doc tells no lies on how fish behave so sit back relax it's fish of the day yeah Welcome back, Fish Nerds, to another edition of Fish of the Day with your host, Fish Guy Josh, and the lovely Doc Martin. Good morning, Doc Hello. Martin.
4: Hello. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> it's almost not morning, though. We have one, I have one minute over here anyway.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll get the show on the road. Uh, what do you have for us today?
4: Uh, sure. So today we are going to be talking about the tench.
2: Ooh, yes, this is one I requested just because it, it is was a kind of a weird fish that we have locally here that's not really found in the United States too much. So I thought yes. it would be interesting to learn a little more about it.
4: Yeah, so this one is mostly European. That's where it's from. Um, I thought, interestingly, to bring it back to some things that the Fish Nerds Facebook page was talking about, maybe a couple few weeks ago, that another common name for the tench is the Dr. Fish.
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. I I think I just sort of filed that in the back of my mind. You're absolutely right. I do remember reading about this.
4: Yes. So, but if we remember, there are... The reason we don't use common names in science is because of literally this reason. So um, when the Fish Nerds Podcast Facebook page was talking about it, it was about a news article where um, these people went to some spa and um, they have Dr. Fish in these little spas. You put your feet in there and then the little fish nibble at your toes and get rid of all the dead skin. It's wonderful. Um, That is not the same doctor fish that's Mm-mm. different and i'm the fish doctor so i would know <laughs> <laughs> but so the doctor fish in the spas that is um gara rufa it's the red gera. it is called the doctor fish also but it's different species and it's a it is also a cyprina though but it's really teeny tiny yeah so this is the tench this is uh, tinka tinka tinka
2: tinka I like So that it is, the fish is so nice,
4: they <laughs> named it twice. <laughs> um, and uh, unfortunately, the, the etymology here is not particularly exciting. Uh, tinka is just Latin for tench. So it's the tench tench.
2: The tench tench. All
4: right. But, so, oh, okay, I have a really great, great question for you. Okay. So, you know, there's, so the tench is tinka tinka. Mm-hmm. There are other fish that have the same genus and species names. Mm-hmm. So they're re- redundant like that. Yeah. That, it, that is called a tautonym.
2: A tautonym. So a tauten-
4: yes, okay. T-A-U-T-O-N-Y-M.
2: Tautonym, okay.
4: <laughs> so a tautonym, it's just when the scientific name of any species where the genus and the species have the same spelling. So they're, they're exactly the same. Uh, okay. um, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so um, typically the reason this is done is because it's the uh, type species or something like that. So this is the the type the species in that species. genre. Okay. Right. Um, so how many fish species have a totonym for their name? Hmm. What do you think?
2: <laughs> I mean, I maybe I've heard another one that I can't think of off the top of my head, so I'm going to guess that the number's <laughs> not very big.
4: Okay. Uh, now, they're, they're, we're going to go with what? Like 30,000 species of fish, give or take? Yeah. Something like that. So uh, how many of them are tautonyms? Oh,
2: man, 30,000 species. <laughs> I don't know. Like, let's guess 500? Or is that... Okay,
4: so way big
2: <laughs> okay my initial one was five and then you were like let's not forget thirty thousand and i was like wait does that mean i should guess higher
4: <laughs> so that's that's perfect so um it is 103 okay so it's really it's that's really in the scheme of things very yeah, very small that is very still small. okay <laughs> but um there is for Fans or you, if you're interested, you can actually go onto to Wikipedia and they have a list of all animals that are totanyms. Oh. You can look at them. Hmm. And interestingly, in botany, totanyms are explicitly prohibited. Hmm. So you can find them for birds and mammals and all the other stuff. I believe when I counted, I think fish have the most...
2: All right. So I guess I could see that with the plants. Maybe. I mean, I know I'm not a botanist, so I can say all plants look the same to me. <laughs> but I mean, I think we can all agree that like plants definitely look a lot similar to each other species, you know, across species than like a lot of animals do. So I could see that being like a rule. <laughs>
4: <laughs> OK, so if any botanists are listening and you are upset by this, please email Josh and not me. <laughs> Uh, so that's pretty funny but yeah so there, there's your so fun, tinka, fun tinka 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 right. you got it <laughs> um so these are mostly fresh waters they can be a little bit brackish um, and they are demersal so they like to spend time near the bottom of the water body and they are also potamodromus. there's your big word of the that's day a, that's
2: a mouthful <laughs> You thought him was it, but no.
4: <laughs> that's second that's right. place today. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of great vocabulary. <laughs> and so if we remember, I, I usually bring up some kinds of these migration patterns, but this is the one where they migrate just within fresh water. So they stay in fresh water. They might migrate upstream or downstream um, for reproductive purposes. And what's that called again? Potomo <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to say it now. <laughs> potamodromus.
2: Potamodromus. Okay.
4: Potomodromus. Yeah. Potumodramus. So, um, there's catadromus and anadromus. Mm-hmm. There's like five or six different ones, but potamodromus means that they migrate within freshwater.
2: <laughs> All right.
4: It's almost like hippopotamus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do. So they're in kind of uh, Europe and Asia. Um, Western Europe. They're found in shallow, densely vegetated lakes and backwaters. Um, they will overwinter, buried in the mud. And when they're a little teeny tiny larvae and juveniles, they're confi- confined to dense vegetation. So they're going to kind of hide out mm-hmm. in a way and avoid predators and stuff like that. And the adults inhabit warm lakes and pools um, with weedy and muddy bottoms. So they are looking for that aquatic vegetation and that mud that they can hide in. Um, Because of the habitats that they like, they can tolerate extremely low oxygen situations. Um, Oftentimes, they can actually do better than some carp species, which are also very well known for tolerating low oxygen situations. So that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that's actually how they came about in our area, Um, reading Peter Moyle's book about uh, California freshwater fish. They were brought here, I think, in the late 1800s by some Italian farmers, and because they could withstand such low oxygen, they made the trip way out there to the, I guess, like the Santa Cruz area and they were moved between farm ponds of different families. So the the ones that I catch today happen to be in what's now like a public pond, but it was along that little stretch of farm ponds that got bounced around, and they're all basically crappy little ponds, and they do really good in them.
4: Yep, and they're probably about the only thing in there, I would (laughs) guess.
2: Besides (laughs) some carp and maybe like some bullhead catfish, that's about it. Yep. Yep.
4: So all all your fishes that don't mind low oxygen
2: mm-hmm.
4: and muddy bottoms. <laughs> um So these they are popular uh for sport fishermen. So it sounds like you have experience fishing for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know um if you want to talk about how you catch them or what your technique is for that?
2: They're I mean the ones here are pretty easy especially in this one pond. I mean, just corn. Um, I did get a tip from a local species fisherman here in the Bay area. Um, cause for the species hunters around here, the tinch are awesome. Cause it's, it's a really hard to find species in the country. And because we have one of the populations here, like everybody likes to go officially check the tench off their list. But, um, he was telling me that he was having problems with the bullhead stealing the corn or the bread that he was trying and he did tortillas and that all of a sudden the catfish stopped touching it, but the tench were all over it. So apparently, interesting,
4: yeah, apparently they <laughs> tortillas. like tortillas,
2: but the ones that I have here are, it's a smaller pond. There's a lot of carp and bullhead, a lot of competition and the tinch are kind of skinny. If you're looking at European pictures of the fish, they they can be pretty pretty chubby and a very stout full fish. And mm-hmm. like if you go scroll through some of the early Instagram posts I have, I have a a tench I caught here, but he's much much skinnier, but they look really weird especially up <laughs> close. They they have like the face of a carp but scales of like a rainbow trout. And their fins look like, I don't know, like a bowfin or something. They really look like they're a few different fish smashed together, especially the ones here that are kind of skinny.
4: Yeah, so these, yeah, they're pretty neat looking fish, but they they are cyprinidae. So they are the minnows. They're in there with the carp then, mm-hmm. not so much than with the salmonids or trout or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah which are, makes
2: it even cool. weirder that... <laughs> when you hold one up close, they have these really fine scales, almost like a golden mm-hmm. shiner scale. And, uh, yeah. And then they have these round fins. It just looks so weird for what I'm <laughs> used to seeing on a lot of our, like native, native California minnows out here.
4: And so, uh, when you go fishing for them, what, about what size do you usually catch if you had to ballpark it in, in inches?
2: Um, <laughs> within like 12 to 20 inches.
4: Okay, so that's probably the average length of these guys. Um, they can get up to 33, though.
2: I've seen some big ones from European photos.
4: Yeah, I wonder if they would do better, probably, in their native habitat more so than where they have been introduced. But not necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought it was interesting that the you can catch them on tortillas. Um, and from what I found is that the adults will often prey on mollusks. So that was pretty interesting. Um, I wonder if we I wonder what is in those farm ponds that they're eating. I don't know anything about mollusks in California. yeah, no. I don't know if you do
2: <laughs> we have i mean um, we have some they're introduced, and I know a lot of the local carp reservoirs they're they're okay. definitely eating on some of these clams that are in there
4: mm-hmm. Yes, I wonder if the Tench is doing that as well, or if maybe they've diversified since they've been in California, but I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) Well, they like tortillas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who doesn't? I mean, you know. Um, and so, and you touched upon this a little bit earlier. So they're really popular, um, pond fish. So they're also really popular in aquaculture. Um, and they have been, um, extensively grown in aquaculture situations since Europe and like the middle ages. Yeah. Um, because really just the availability of fry is the minimum factor. So as long as you can get them to reproduce, they're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Um, Fun fact, and this goes out to Clay (laughs) because I saw this paper and I had to talk about it. (laughs) So in aquaculture, there is a lot of different things you can do. So you want to make sure that the food is right and the nutrition is good and they have space and oxygen and blah, 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 blah. Um, Also important is the quantity, motility, and fertility of the sperm. So I found this wonderful paper from 2006 (laughs) that is absolutely nothing but describing the best way to get sperm out of a tench and how to look at its color, its consistency, how many consecutive ejaculates you can get out of the fish, the total number of sperm, um, how fast the sperm will go, the number of active sperm, the percentage of dead, are they morphologically the same? Um, And interestingly, uh, this is like a big deal. So one of the most popular topics that I saw on like Google Scholar and when I'm looking through journals was all about tench sperm and how to make it be the best sperm wow. that it can be. <laughs> so there you go. So I guess as as an exciting. aquaculture
2: fish, they they have laid out a well-documented plan for sperm management, huh?
4: They have, yes. Now, okay, so have you, Colloquially, if you do aquaculture and you're collecting sperm from fish, they call you a fish squeezer. Have you ever done that?
2: Yes, I did some uh, red snapper and mangrove and cobia, a fish you and I have covered before. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have done some induced spawning stuff with those guys back in my early days.
4: Yep, yep. I think when I was an undergraduate, I went to one of the fish, local fish hatcheries for, you know, kind of an experience in something different. Yeah. And I got to squeeze fish for a day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I am definitely it's cool, a, a bona fide fish squeezer, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
4: But, yeah, they uh, they have all these cool, like, tubes with aeration, so you have the eggs in there, and then you add the sperm, Mm -hmm. and they have all sorts of ways to measure it. It's actually really cool. If if you've never seen anything like that before, if our listeners are new to this kind of thing, like, you know fish hatcheries exist, you kind of know that, but the, the actual just literally hands-on process to get yeah. these guys to reproduce is, is pretty S-
2: Stirring sperm and egg with feathers and stuff. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doing it like the settlers used to do. <laughs>
4: That's right. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they were doing that in the, fish, the European Middle The fish Middle farmer ages. settlers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um And then my other fun fact is, so... The the sperm of a tench is thick and has a milky color with a concentration up to 20 times 10 to the 9 cubic centimeters. That's 20 billion per cubic centimeter, which I thought was pretty cool. And um, usually when we get to big numbers like billion, like 20 times 10 to the 9, what does that mean? Um, so I thought I would give some relative statistics there. So that is, so 20 times 10 to the 9 is 20 billion. Um, that is more than the age of our solar system, which is 4.5 billion years. Wow. And the age of the universe, which is 13.7 billion years. Wow. However, it is not as many, it's not as high as the number of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, which is 200 billion.
2: Man, those there you go. Some heavy
4: numbers. (laughs) Some big numbers. That's right. Well, now you just have a really nice way to gauge if your tench has quality sperm production.
2: (laughs) Uh, Very cool.
4: (laughs) Yep. Okay. So, anyway, we can move on. So, they do have... um, a pretty predictable life uh, life cycle. So males reproduce around two to three years and females three to seven, that's pretty standard having females reproduce years later. Um, Spawning happens around May or September. Um, The eggs are sticky and they are kind of greenish and they'll stick to plants uh, on or near the bottom of the water body. And they will repeatedly spawn um, every several i think 15 maybe two weeks give or take for about two months in oh, may okay. through september um and then the incubation for the eggs lasts about three days and the larva will remain attached to the plants for several days until they are ready to swim freely which is pretty cool
2: very interesting um,
4: and I think the only other fun fact I had about them <laughs> was that, and I know these have been really good ones. Um, so what do we know about what exercise does to your body? There's my question for you, Josh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, say that again. What do we know? What, is,
4: what does exercise do to your body, just in very general terms?
2: Um... Well, I know lifting weights it kind of breaks down the tissue a little bit and then rebuilds it back stronger.
4: Yep. So we could think more about maybe running would be a better example for. Where I'm trying to go with this, um, but increases you, your endurance. It does increase your endurance, but even um, in a short time, just the one time, we're not we're not working up to anything here. Oh, okay. So you're you're breathing heavier. Yeah. When
2: I run, I get That's tired. that's what you're
4: doing. You, do when you yeah. exercise. You're breathing heavier, right? Um, And so what happens is you're respiring, you're trying to get rid of that carbon dioxide that is made from um, respiration processes. And if, as we, as we all know, um, when you exercise, you actually increase your blood pH a little bit because of the dissolved carbon dioxide, it turns into, is it carbolic acid, carbonic acid, h with the H before the CO2. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it's called. Um, and so what that pH does in your blood is, or what that acid does in your blood, is it lowers your pH because a lower pH is more acidic. And it turns out that one of the studies I found is on what fish exercise does in tench.
2: <laughs> wow, they've really so put fish It turns these out it's very ringer. similar, huh? <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so they, I don't, I couldn't, unfortunately, this was behind a huge paywall and I didn't get it in time to put it into here and read the whole paper. So I only had access to like that abstract and the first page, unfortunately. Um, but it, it sounds to me like what they did is they just, they studied exercising the fish, um, which I assume is just maybe... Forcing it to swim somehow or putting it in a swim chamber, which would be really common. And then um, measuring directly the blood pH and a, yeah. um, a saying that that has something to do with the metabolic reactions and all that other stuff. So yeah. Which would make sense. Um, that's pretty standard for most vertebrate animals. Yeah. But – I would really I really was hoping to be able to read that paper because I kind of want to know like how they exercise the fish. Um, we also typically don't use the word exercise when we talk about and fish studying fish <laughs> metabolic processes. That's a very interesting way to put it. So I just thought that was pretty funny. So these these fish do get their exercise if, in case you were you were worried very interesting.
2: About it. <laughs> so to sum up today's Fish of the day in a few words, Tinka Tinka, yes. powerful, well-documented sperm, but not nearly as many as the Milky Way Galaxy, and fish <laughs> treadmills.
4: Yes, that's I, a beautiful summary. It?
2: Okay. Well, that was a great fish of the day, though.
4: <laughs> it was. It was. It was a lot of fun. I, I never thought I'd read so much about fish sperm all in one sitting. <laughs> Excellent
1: takeaway points. <laughs> all right, so it's time. We, we we got a couple of other things we want to talk about today. First of all, uh, we need to announce the... The new FN Book Club, actually, uh, the FN Book Club's been going on for years. But the newest book is we're going to do this month is called "What a Fish Knows," uh, and and we're doing this book because every time I interview anybody in the fishing world about fish and they're talking about catching fish and fish feelings and fish getting hurt and fish pain and all that, this book comes up. And the author of this book has agreed to come on. The the podcast at the end of the month to talk about this book with us and it's a rare treat and he in this book first of all his I've read the first half so far and his biology segment on this book where he talks about what is a fish. It's what I've been saying for years about fish fish are the hardest animal to define, and he does it perfectly, he leaves us with the same thing I always end with, which is I still have no idea what a fish is, but he does it so well. Uh, and then in the book, he, he gets on to make a case that fish have uh, deep emotional lives, they have feelings, they feel pain like we do, they've got rich um, self-awareness, all this other stuff, really stuff that I, I'm, I'm not going to prejudge. I'm going to read the book, and I'm going to ask him all the stuff, and we're not going to debate him. We want to hear his point of view. Uh, and I think Doc Martin's going to come on and be part of that conversation with us and Jeff Jansen, the FN librarian. And we think, all you listeners, uh, you should get the copy of the book from your library uh, and read it and, that, and submit questions to us to ask uh, if it's Jonathan, um, Jonathan Balcom. Jonathan? Well, his name's Jonathan. Uh, to ask Jonathan these questions because I, I would much rather ask listener questions than my questions because uh, I understand his point. I just want to hear him talk about it. And he's, he's a very good talker. He'll do a great job as an interview, And we're super excited to be, to, to get him. I've actually wanted to have him on the show for years. So this is a big deal. Get your book. What a fish knows from your library. Read it. I'm listening to mine on audible because I can't read.
0: <laughs> You're so, listening to it right now.
1: Uh, no, right now I'm listening to you. I'm talking to you, but I'm about halfway through. Oh, oh I see. Yeah. yeah. No, I actually, it's funny. I, I'll, well, we'll use the time for a minute right now. So, Long time listeners will know we've been off the air, is it called the air? Off the internet for like three weeks. I haven't released a show in weeks. And the reason I haven't is because uh, (laughs) we were about to record a show, gosh, what, three weeks ago, and my audio on my computer failed. My computer restarted and updated and all the audio drivers went away. And then I had to go to Atlanta, and then I found out my daughter needed braces, and I needed more money. And so I, have, I picked up a sixth part-time job. I don't have full-time work. I, have a, I work six part-time jobs. So now from four in the morning until seven, I drive uh, people who are heroin addicts to methadone clinics for treatment. And unfortunately, our nearest methadone treatment center is 70 miles away. So it's a three-hour round-trip drive, and that's my, how I'm earning extra money. And I've been tired and grumpy and haven't put out a show in a while
0: plus there was a span of days you told me you you guided five trips in two days or something uh, i've been
1: on the ice yeah so i work seven days a week and and there yeah there was a couple weeks ago we were we did uh, five trips on saturday and a couple on sundays uh, this past weekend we t- we went out with a cigar shenanigans and we had like 26 anglers all day on saturday fishing and more guided trips on sunday so i've, I've been tired so get off my back leave me alone i'm just grumpy so well we need our fish nerds i know but we're back we're back all right so um we also want to talk about a a new a new contest we're going to do the new effing contest i'm going to try one run run one of these a month so this is our march contest we want you to call the fish nerds hotline uh 607-378-FISH and tell us your favorite fishy quote you know, just your quote, like things people say about fishing. Um, here's here's an example. One of my favorite one, um, which I say a lot to um, <laughs> to people, uh, is yesterday the fishing was excellent, and tomorrow is going to be great too. Uh, this why I tell the clients we're not catching any fish. John, man, man, was great yesterday, and tomorrow was amazing. Tomorrow will be great. Yeah. So um, when you call in, if you got, you can promote on this. So if if you run a fishy business and you make fishing lures, you can call and say, hey, my name is. My name is Luke and I make Shammo's fishing lures and my favorite fishy quote is, um, that's why they call it fishy. And just leave us a quote. That's it. Then we'll randomize all these, put your names in the hat and pick out a winner and you'll win. Uh, you know, we have, I have a pile of swag. So you get a fish nerds hat, some decals, I'll probably throw in a book um, and a, a free subscription to the Fish Nerds podcast. So <laughs> all kinds of fun. Uh, Eric, do you have a, a fishy quote that you like?
0: Boy, I, I imagine as a guide, you must have piles of them. I don't, I don't really, you know, the one, the one I always remember is just that one you just shared. That's why they call it fishing and not catching.
1: Mm-hmm. I hate that so much. I hate it. I never say it, but the clients always do. Well, they call it fishing. I'm like, yeah, I hate mm-hmm. that. And as yeah. a guide, by the way, if you're, if you're not catching fish with a guide and you're upset about it, your guide is 10 times more upset about it. Like, the anxiety of a client yeah. not catching a fish is unfreaking real.
0: I was a first mate on a charter boat to put myself through college, and those days, just you know, like at my, I just felt like there was a rock in my stomach until we started catching anything. I was mm-hmm. just depressed.
1: It's so sad. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah, and of course we all like see fish come out, you know, come out of the water for whatever reason. Um, all right. So uh, before we end the show, Eric, I want to hear more about your art.
0: Oh, thanks. Uh oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, we're I'm I'm having a lot of fun with this. We got 18 of those uh augured uh holes up on these walls of a gallery in Boylston, which is a a town outside of um Boston. Mm-hmm. And um it's part of a a two decade retrospective of my photography that I've got up there and it's up through July. So once the hard water ends and people are jonesing for anything related to ice fishing, you should come check this out because, uh, it kind of shines a a fun spotlight on, on what is going on in the ice. You know, this, it's just, it's such an amazing and magical thing that we get to walk out on, on bodies of water and be on them and fish on them and build fires on them. And it's all good. Park trucks on them, have a community out there, right? Like the film Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, but it's just magical. It's just underpinned by the fact that water freezes and when it does it just uh, it makes these incredible patterns and shapes in the ice and so you know the, the what makes those those images really work is that you know the auger makes a perfectly round hole and then so then there's fresh water comes into the middle of that thing and overnight all the little bubbles and things coming up from below they they start rising into the hole and as the, the ice starts to thicken they all freeze in different at different levels and different patterns and shapes and so you come away with with images of these things that make them look like uh, galaxies or universes some people say they see mitochondria and cells Um, so every viewer takes a different view on these um, these abstract images and it's fun to hear people's um, thoughts about them sometimes I bring them out on the ice too I'll go out there and show guys on my phone like Hey, what are you catching? And, uh, I am a photographer and check this out. And they'll say, wow, that's cool.
1: Yeah. Now it's interesting because you know like, most ice anglers I know have taken photos of their frozen ice holes. They already see the beauty, but they don't think about framing them and hang them on a wall. So you kind of like, it, it, yeah, it's funny, juxt- funny transition you've made from noticing it to doing something with it, which I think is really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's definitely true that the guys notice it and you know, my hack is is making sure they're rendered in black and white because then you don't have that greenish cast or you don't have the, you know, the little bits of leaves or pine needles or whatever that go out there. So you don't, your frame of reference has changed. We took so you one, actually don't know what you're looking at.
1: We took one in color and I'll send you a copy of it. It's really pretty it, and the lighting made it a bright, bright, like blue color. Mm. So it really came out sharp looking and it, when I when I saw it because I had seen your work before I immediately thought ah, this is awesome you know and we used it you know, we had it as our cover up yeah. for the show one week now the other thing about the ice we learned on the outside in podcast that I was on is um, the ice is pure right so when it freezes it forces out all that microscopic animals and 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 algae's and gets forced out of the ice and so there's a layer between the ice and the water of this life that lives under just under the ice and it can grow beards of algae and all kinds of other stuff. So when you drill that hole, all that life comes up the hole, right? And is, and that's part of that free freezing process, which is why one of the other reasons those patterns are in there. So it, wow. cause that I, that I learned this just the other day, just from being on public radio where they get things right. Uh, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> really cool. And uh, so where can they see your work? If they're on the internet, where do they find your work?
0: Uh, sure. Go to my website there. I've got info right on the front page, E R I K, H O F F N E R E R I K H O F F N E R.com. Yeah. And of
1: course we'll have links up at fishners.com and Eric is active in our community. And, uh, maybe he'll post a few pictures up of his, of his uh, gallery work and invite you to come see it live here in Boston area. You should, you should go see it. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the place is really nice. It's in a, actually a, a brand new nature center mm-hmm. on 50 acres and, uh, they they built one part of the inside of the nature center to be a gallery. So you can go there and have a hike or a snowshoe and then uh, see some art on either end of that.
1: Now do you are you selling all that stuff?
0: It's not for sale. No, it's just a free show.
1: All right, I'll sell it to you. <laughs> I'll give you a cut. Excellent. Excellent. Hey Eric, thanks so much for coming on the podcast this week.
0: At your service.
1: All right, let me wrap this up here. All right. So <laughs> That's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Uh, we'd like to thank our uh, families for supporting us while we podcast. Go on Fishing quests, and doing all the silly things that nerds do. Big fat thanks to Eric Hoffner for uh, co-hosting this week and being part of this uh, journey with us. Lawrence Gunther for his uh, his work in Canada. Fish guy Josh and Doc Martin. Uh, and, of course, uh, thank you to, uh, let's see, the Crappy hippie for his... Uh, his work and Wally Pleasant for making our theme song, and Diane's Bath Salts for making our news theme. And anyone I forgot, I still love you. I just can't remember all the things. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds spawn early, spawn often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you Whether
0: get. you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.